0: One, two, one, two. <clears throat> Luna,
1: has she contacted
0: No, but she promised she'd be here.
1: Okay, so. let's hope so.
0: We can get to my interview first, okay? Yep. Ready? Yeah.
1: Ah, gremlins. <laughs> Pity. Love that tune. Welcome back to the Paper Femme podcast.
0: And I uh, hope you're not as cold as we are, wherever you are. <laughs> our little studio is even colder than usual today. <laughs>
1: Freezing our mitts off here. Mm. Now, with the capital celebrating, it's Georgian Festival. We thought it would be fun for us to powder our wigs and have a nosy around the 18th century. We've
0: got two great items for you today. First off, you're going to hear my interview <laughs> uh, with Paper Femme's all-time favourite writer, whose new book, Kids' Ships, is causing quite a stir. A perfectly pitched tale of loss and abandonment. And joining us in the studio will be Dr Letty Mead, curator the Georgian Museum and one of the main movers behind the festival
1: continuing our gendered spaces top 10 with a
0: socio-historical twist Dr Mead will be talking to us about the bedroom or bed chamber, as it was referred to
1: mm, hopefully <laughs> she's uh, currently stuck in traffic poor mm. tunnel is
0: down our in-depth look at the kitchen on last week's show and judging from the comments anyway <laughs> <laughs> appears to have been um, divisive
1: not everyone agreed with the assertion that men's involvement in culinary activities does not represent Uh, uh, uh,
0: democratisation of domestic tasks
1: (laughs) exactly yes but rather a redefinition of masculinity Mm. one listener
0: took particular exception listening to paper femme is like hanging with a coven of bitter bitches nice so riled was our friend M full stop P full stop
1: Mm, do you think uh, it was a typo he hit B instead of W Mm. (laughs)
0: It really is freezing today. Yeah, Presuming it's a
1: hymn. It's definitely a hymn.
2: Certainly. Swift himself was apt to refer to members of the gentler sex in exactly those terms. Pox, take you for a bitch. was a favourite phrase. Ah, you're here. Brilliant. Did you say M full stop P?
1: We didn't hear you come in. And you look amazing. Wow, the costume is brilliant.
2: Costume. We'll
0: have to Instagram it.
2: Is the wretch here? And your teeth! Is he still spreading lies about me? Sorry? How did you blacken them like that? It's brilliant.
1: Who's spreading lies?
2: Matthew Pilkington.
1: Who? Reverend Matthew Pilkington. Oh, maybe that's our MP. Oh, I
0: don't know a Matthew Pilkington, Reverend or otherwise. Lucky. Right. Um, sorry, we weren't expecting you. Well, not quite yet, anyway.
2: You were expecting me.
0: I know, optimistic. Mm, with that traffic. Come join us at the table.
1: I'm not sure I should. Ah, don't worry. Our listeners are well used to guests coming and going.
2: Sit down. Uh, Would (laughs) you like water or anything? How kind. Yes, please. It's been a while since I had anything
1: to drink. Probably had to dig your way out, did you?
2: No, not quite. From the tunnel. (laughs) So, doctor. Oh, my father was a doctor. Very well regarded. Um, Everyone who was anyone came to see him. Well, our
0: 18th century specialist and originator of the Georgian Festival with events on all around town is, <laughs> against the odds, here with us in studio. Festival. And
1: looking fantastic.
2: And too, very kind. So, Dr. Mead. His name wasn't Meade. He was Dr. Van Leeuwen. But I have relatives who are Meade. Are you acquainted with the Meads? No. Uh, no. No, I'm not. Pity, Captain Meade was a fine man. Offered aid when I was in distress. Of course, relatives are meant to help one in one's hour of need, but they don't always do. <laughs> no, no, I have found that those with least are often the most generous. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Mm. You might have helped me, though, if I'd asked. Uh, help you with what? <sighs> with my daughter. Your daughter? Yes, thought I heard her cry just now. Did you Did you hear a baby cry? No. No.
1: Uh,
2: no, I didn't. I heard her cry just now. I, I can always hear her cry. It echoes and re-echoes. I can't silence it. Oh, I find that too. After a hard
1: night, every baby's yelp makes me jump. It's exhaustion. We're just exhausted.
2: Yes, you say I'm tired, no rest. thought she might be here. Up half the night, broken sleep. Don't be too hard on yourself.
3: Oh, I think you should be very hard on yourself.
2: So you are here, Matthew. thought you might be. Time hasn't been kind to you.
3: That's a trifle course. Your wit has blunted since I saw you last.
2: No, the subject doesn't inspire. Neither does your music.
3: It used to. What are you doing back?
2: Looking for our daughter.
3: Why would she be here? You dumped her on the parish.
2: On your advice.
3: You didn't have to take
2: it. (laughs) I did. You made sure of that. I've looked everywhere else for her. Nowhere left to look. Can you hear that? you here? Is that you?
1: I had to leave her. I had no choice. You can only do what you can do. The elusive work-life balance. So, as a highly
0: regarded authority on the 18th century... Highly regarded? Yes, of
2: course. <laughs> Am I? Oh, wasn't always, no. It was often a struggle to put bread on the table, having no other estate but my head. And even when my honours were great, my profits were small. That's a career in the
1: arts for you, eh? So, uh, where does your interest in the Georgian period stem from? I don't quite see how I wouldn't have
2: been interested. Yes, well,
0: it is an interesting period, certainly. Now, before we start talking about the bedchamber... The
2: bedchamber?
0: Yes, the bed. The bedroom in Georgian Dublin, as we discussed. Did we? I don't recall that. Is all that still of interest? It's today's main topic.
2: My fatal
1: hour? Yes, yes. But before we start the discussion proper, we always like to ask our guests a few get-to-know-you questions. Like
0: their top three life hacks. Three pieces of advice you would give a friend. You're on.
2: Never break your word. Never marry a poet. And learn how to lie. The lying is an occupation used by all who mean to rise. In pimps and politicians, the genius is the same. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, but what of you against poets? Oh, If a man can't bear his friend should write, much less can he endure it in his wife. Even men of sense can't stand learning in women. Commonly choosing for mates the most stupid of their sex. Whoa, that's a bit harsh. Is it? Right, OK. Uh, and if you were to describe
0: yourself in one word, what would it be?
3: Obstinate. Rash. Self-willed.
2: I'm finding this difficult.
3: Poor Slut.
2: One word. Um.
3: Outcast, maybe.
2: too many voices? Uh, Choices? I can't think. It's not easy.
0: Very difficult. Yeah, just one word. Any word will do, really. Whatever comes to mind.
2: A scribbler. A scribbler?
0: You don't consider yourself a curator,
2: then? Oh, a curator of experience, maybe. (laughs) My own, primarily. So, a scribbler... Wasn't expecting that. Three ballad operas, two plays, innumerable letters and countless poems.
3: Ha! Second-rate ditties sold to the highest bidder, so they could get their hands on some forbidden ditties.
2: Still plagued by envy. No genuine wit would fear any rival, even if she were his wife.
3: A needle becomes a woman's hand better than pen and ink.
2: (laughs) Is that your best parry? Much like your infernal malice scribbling itch is an incurable disease. Clearly, you seem to have quite an output, but I Let would... any illiterate divine repair to me and he shall have a sermon. If any painter wishes to become a bard, I will assist. If any person wants a flattering dedication, any player a prologue, any beau a du, any lady a melting epistle... Any undertaker, an elegy, any stonecutter, an epitaph, or in short, anything in the poetical way shall, by applying to me, be dispatched in the most private and genteel manner and at the most reasonable rates.
0: You've a very, well, unusual approach to history. I
1: like it. Your first-person technique. And what source are you quoting from there? An
2: advertisement for publication in the London newspapers. In the 18th century? Of course. Mm -hmm. Do you have it on exhibition currently? No. I haven't laid eyes on it for years.
1: (laughs) Impressive memory.
2: Well, if I read anything particularly charming, I never forget it. (sighs) Lucky. I can prove it to you if you like. That wit and memory are not incompatible. Please. Okay. Choose a Shakespeare, any Shakespeare. Give me a line, one line only, and I will continue with the speech. Any Shakespeare. I did uh, Hamlet for the leaving. Your leaving of
1: what? Hang on. How does it go?
2: Oh, that this, that this too... Too solid flesh would melt, thaw, and resolve itself into a dew... Or that the Everlasting had not fixed his cannon against self-slaughter. If I could bring us back on topic... (laughs) Bravo! (laughs) Test me again, no one can best me at this game. Okay. Uh, um,
1: um. Actually, I'd be curious to hear about uh, gender identity in the 18th century. Gender identity? Maybe gender as performance would be better? In a world
2: where gender defaulted to man or woman? Well, if I understand what you mean, and I must admit I'm not entirely sure I do... Um, I remember one Christmas the Dean wanted to know what I liked best and I said I wished I was a man. The Dean? Dr. Swift. Swift? As in Patrick's Cathedral, Swift? Yes. Who else? If I have any merit as a writer, it is due to him. And the pains he took to teach me... Though, to tell you the truth, he was a rough sort of tutor. If I made use of an inelegant phrase, I was sure of a deadly pinch and often received chastisement before I knew my crime. Interesting, though I really
0: wasn't expecting such an anecdotal approach.
2: You wanted something more high-minded? Are you two of the opinion that a woman's mind is of little interest?
0: No, no, not at all. Of course not. I just wasn't expecting our interview to run quite like this. Your decision to reenact, embody even your own research has taken me a little by surprise, that's all. But it,
2: it really brings the past to life, makes it accessible, you know, really vibrant. Thank you. I was frequently paid to recite. <laughs> One landlady in London needed something new to produce to her customers. And I became her exhibit A for any person wishing to pay for well bred talk. There, to raise the tone of her establishment, I presume. (laughs) Not an onerous task, when the background noise was the near-constant creaking of beds and drunken singing. What are you doing? Bit of ambience,
0: that's all. It's not helping.
2: And I sat with amiable guests, discussing Milton, Shakespeare, Spencer. One gentleman even paid a whole two guineas for my poetical discussions.
3: Knees up, Mother Brown. Knees up, Mother Brown. Under the table, you must go. E-a-y-a-y-a-y-a. If I catch you bending, I'll saw your legs right off. Knees up, knees up. Don't let the breeze up. Knees up, Mother Brown. Aren't you going to tell them you entertained your rich young lawyers in your bedchamber? All drapes and pink shades, champagne and oysters. With
2: the door wide open. A
3: technical distinction.
2: Women whose characters are unblemished may do a thousand things. Which those who have husbands like you must avoid. But luckily enough for me, wit is saleable. If you can find your market. Finding
1: your target market, every freelancer's nightmare. Hate it. But I have to say, you could have been an actor. It's uncanny. Yes, quite extraordinary.
2: And what source are you quoting from there? My own memoirs, of course. Why would I quote from anyone else's?
0: Your memoirs.
2: I never took to it. Acting. Yes, three volumes, published both here and in London. So, a substantial back catalogue. Lemon and sugar are very pretty. I would be sorry to write a satire that did not sting.
1: Satire as well, the whole gamut. That didn't come up in our research either. No, it didn't come up in our research. But you could have been on stage,
2: definitely. <laughs> Being only three foot six, the audience would have strained to see me. But maybe I should have taken to it. My husband was inordinately fond of actresses, weren't you, dear? What was her name again? She had a a neat figure, but a very high-pitched voice. Didn't quite reach the back of the stalls. Sorry. My thoughts are apt to wander, sometimes to eternity. (laughs) Method acting. Brilliant. Right. uh, Well, we were going to discuss the bedchamber. Could we maybe... Oh, of course. I certainly slept in my fair share. More than most. From damask to diseased. From downy cotton to damp straw. I have slept in beds that are so vile, put-upon footmen have slept in better. But the most parasitical of them all was my marriage bed. No tender kisses through gauzy curtains there. That parameter of wood and fabric and stained sheets that binds us together till death do us part. But how quickly the servant of love turns. He hunted me down, you know. Didn't you, Matthew? With your pretty poems and prettier looks. Had other suitors, of course. But none with your wit. You excited me. I saw possibility in you.
3: How kind of you.
2: We sharpened our blades over every subject, hungry for knowledge. And we were evenly matched. Well, except in affairs of the heart, of course. I adored you. And, gullible child that I was, I fell for your ruse. Back the paper your occult ambition. Your narcissism. It was still unapparent.
3: What would you have been without me? Languishing in obscure gentility. <laughs>
2: Don't charge me with obscurity. <laughs> Sweet sixteen and great-granddaughter of the Earl of Kilmalloch. A good catch for a watchmaker's son. With nothing to his name but an owl and a lute. I should have taken more notice of the owl. It's import. Who keeps death as
0: a pet? I hope you don't think me rude, but I'm finding your method of presenting information, well, confusing.
1: Are you? I've always been considered an excellent raconteur. I like it. Like having a real-life Georgian in the studio.
2: To be pithy, if you find that clearer. I discovered a lack of fortune and near-constant childbirth depreciates love at an alarming rate. Being a low-level cleric, his only hope of walking in better-stocked gardens was, well, to prove himself a cuckold. He employed an impressive array of stratagems leaving me alone with dandies and libertines, arranging overnight excursions with well-known philanderers, <laughs> dicing me with dark-eyed students and rich old men to see if I would fall. You see, it was Mr. Pilkington's pockets that would bulge if I acceded to their requests. Mr. Pilkington? Yes, my husband, Matthew Pilkington. Your husband? Of course. I'm sorry. Yes, so am I. But even the happiest wedlock is at best but tolerable. And they said I defiled the marriage bed. (laughs) You
1: defiled the marriage bed?
2: Lies! How often must I I, I refute it? Why will no one believe me? I didn't mean to cause offence. I was just trying to follow you. What is there to follow? Well, I'm a
0: little lost, to be honest. It's
2: quite simple. All he needed was a little corroboration. For his final play, his black card but I didn't think he'd be so disobliged by my innocent desire to learn. It was, I admit, unwise, to have a man who was not my husband in my... our bedchamber. So late at night. Matthew's merry band of armed men bursting through the door to find me in the compromising position of... reading. Swords were drawn, heads broken, and we were taken prisoner. (laughs) He even tried to kiss me on the head like you might a dog. But not before one of his henchmen pulled two of my fingers out of joint and punched me so hard in the head I caught a glimpse of heaven. A parting gift of sorts, I suppose. I've said it before, but I'll say it again. Here, now. I solemnly declare... It was the attractive charms of a new book, which were the sole motive of my detaining my gentleman friend. He wouldn't lend the book to me, but kindly consented to stay till. Well, till I'd read it through. I've always been a great lover of reading in bed. Oh. Me too. Love
0: it. I don't think reading is the pertinent issue here. Not entirely sure what is. Giddy with success
2: at having his foul ambitions realized, Matthew sent for a bottle of wine and drank our healths. Making a present of me to my gentleman friend, he assured us that as clergyman he would be happy to marry us. Once he was divorced from me. For that was the main point of all his intrigue. Getting rid of me.
3: He's a fool that marries. But he's a greater fool that does not marry a fool. For what is wit and a wife good for but to make a man a cuckold?
2: And that cuckolds go to heaven, nobody ever yet disputed.
3: You hoisted yourself with your own petard, dear heart. I didn't even have to knot the rope.
2: He threw me out on the street with nothing but the clothes I was standing up in, two in the morning. And I was heavily pregnant, the wretch. He wouldn't even let me say goodbye to the children. That's awful. Oh, maybe he just concurred with Dr. Swift that a horse is better than a wife. He was adamant that a horse gives better exercise. (laughs) And more pleasure. Did
1: Swift really say that? Huh, fascinating. Yes, yes it is. Was he, by the way, your gentleman friend? Sorry, I'll stop you there. It's a reasonable question. It may be, but for clarity's
0: sake, uh, for our listeners, who are you impersonating?
2: How can I impersonate myself? That would be some trick. I've travelled in disguise, all right. Even been taken for a widow. A mistake which was never in my interest to clear up. Really is all very interesting, Dr Mead, but... um... I was never doctor. I thought I'd made that clear, didn't I? But I did go under the name Mrs Mead when driven out of town. Had to take the boat to London, of course.
0: Sorry. But just to try, if we could, to clarify matters, what name are you going under today, Mrs Mead? The name I usually go under. Which is? Letitia Pilkington. Who else would I be? So, just to be absolutely clear, you are not Dr Letty Mead, museum curator, Georgian
2: specialist. No, I never said I was. But I am a Georgian specialist. Can't see how I could be anything else. But you're not our guest. You're the one who invited me to join you. Our expected guest. Well, guests are by their nature often unexpected. So who are you? As I've already explained, I'm Letitia. You are hard of hearing. The poor Dean tried to hide it too. One always had to shout, Letitia. Pilkington! I'm not deaf. I just don't believe you.
1: No need to
0: shout. I'm not shouting. She thought I was shouting. Because
2: I thought you couldn't hear me. Why
1: can't you let her speak? Some not who thinks she was born in 1730. You're forever trying to take over. 1709, actually. I'm not sure whether it was Cork or Dublin, though. That's
0: it, I've had enough. I think we'll go to my interview now. Yours is a really great success story for female writing, and we wanted to celebrate that here on Paper Fan with a sneak preview of your novel, "Kids Ships." Pleasure to be here. So, what interested you about this topic, the, the kids ships? I have to admit, I'd never heard of them.
2: Neither had I, and that's primarily kids ships. What motivated me to be I know all about those filthy vessels. As a Matthew sold my two one, younger one, children as one, slaves to New, New York on one of them. Such a monstrous crime. I could barely believe it. Sorry?
1: Could you turn the interview off? It's very distracting. This is ridiculous.
2: Clad in holy vesture, eyes upturned to heaven. (laughs) You'd never believe him capable of such a thing. But when a swinging sin is committed, there's nothing like a gown and cassock to hide it my poor children, sold as slaves. I wrote to the bishops and waited. There's nothing more I could do from my sick bed in London. Bone sore for them. I raved incessantly for them. The doctor did his utmost, leeching me daily for fever. But there's no cure for the private anguish of the mind. Well, don't think we've ever had
0: a guest that could talk so fluently. No, no, we haven't.
2: You've left me quite speechless. I later heard events unfolded in a matter of hours. My little ones barely dragged to safety, left huddled on the dock as that vile ship sailed down the Liffey. A wretched cargo of poor, unwanted innocents bundled into the hold. But at least Matthew. Wretched villain was forced to return the golden guinea he'd received from the master in exchange for his own children. It's one babysitting option. Can't believe you just said that. Don't raise an eyebrow at me. It didn't matter whether I was here or there. I have wrestled with that accusation myself. The children were his to do with what he wished, his property even told them I was dead. I might as well have tried to seize old time as hope to reconnect with what was forever lost. Can't imagine that. My child been told I was dead.
1: Hello?
0: Hello. And you are? Dr. Letty Mead, am I very late? Oh, yes, sorry, of course. Sorry, Dr. Mead, yes. No, uh, I think we could have a very quick chat with you. Um, This is-
4: Letitia Pilkington. Uh, You know her? Uncanny. Exactly like Nathaniel Hohen's portrait of her.
2: Of her? I am her. I'm not quite sure he captured my complexion, though. And my beauty was always in my complexion, not in my bones. <laughs> <sighs> Method acting. Brilliant. My baby is
0: here. What are you doing? That's mine, my equipment. There's there's no baby here. You're off your head. I'll call security if you don't stop.
2: Put down your sword. uh, Don't have a sword. Oh, you pulled my two fingers out of joint. No, I haven't. You will not throw me out of my own house. They have never, ever shamed me to silence, nor will you. I can't imagine
0: anyone silencing you.
3: Throw you out. Mm. I'd throw you in jail. Nothing but a common prostitute.
2: Say what you like. You got what you wanted. I died in time for you to marry another.
3: It might have been easier if you had just granted me a divorce, mightn't it? Oh,
2: I am tired of this bickering. No, I don't hate you. I'm just an apathy of you. The longest lashes. Beautiful. She was so beautiful. But when snares and twigs are spread for a poor bird, it cannot well escape. I lost other children. Of course I did. Everyone did. And I haven't forgotten them, in in case you think I have. Cherubic faces, melted by sickness. Newborn babes kissing death. And he kept the little ones he couldn't deny. But my littlest one, I owe her the most. I handed her up. I gave her away. Why, why did I do that? Why did I listen to him? Why? Why? I'm sorry, my little one. I'm so sorry.
1: Come back, come back back to me. Come back to Mama. Please.
2: Oh, I'm coming. Mama's oh, coming. Mama's come coming. Back Don't leave. Me. Wait. Come, come, back.
1: Come, back. come back. She's gone. Disappeared.
4: Who was she? No idea. Odd, because um, actually where we are now would have been known as Lazarus Hill. Right. Where Letitia lived. Uh, before she was caught in flagrante with a book. Or so she claims. Actually,
1: you should read her memoirs. That is odd. So we could be in her house, could we? Suppose so. Virginia Woolf
4: was a big fan. Thought her very neglected.
0: Her actual house? Ooh, must have been a, a ghost. <gasps> Ooh. Well, you frightened her away.
4: I think her poems are... One of them, anyway, was published by Pope's editor.
0: Let's check that. Hmm. Well, we've run out of time. So join us next week for another episode of Paper Femme when hopefully, I hope we'll get to hear the rest of my interview without interruption. <laughs> Bye. Bye for now. Bye.
1: Bye. Until next week.
4: Oh, and you can get all the information about the festival on our website Dublin Georgian Festival at dgf.ie. Oh, I'm too sorry. I'm really late. I'm,
0: I'm really so late, not I? I'm so so the red details. In details. Oh, oh yeah, I think you're turns.
2: <laughs> I won't leave you again, little one. I promise. He bought a cat with his only penny, for where he had slept, the mice were many. And he found Miss Puss a fine device, for she kept his garret quite, quite, quite clear of mice.
3: Thank you.